Thank you, Nick. I want to thank Will and Nick for inviting me here. It's a great privilege for me to come. And I thought about this. I think I have about maybe three goals. First of all, I want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And second, I want to proclaim his word. Hopefully it will be faithfully. And, uh, you know, after Nick told on me and how long I've been in ministry, I guess you'd think that after that many years you'd get good at this. But it's kind of like driving. You don't necessarily get better just because you've done it for a long time. (laughs) But I'm awfully glad to be here. I appreciate your hospitality. My last goal is not to embarrass my in-laws. So, because they have to, they have to live here, and you, um, I hope you'll be gentle with them. Uh, whatever happens in the next few moments. Again, thank you. The passage I'd like to focus on this morning is from the book of Joshua, chapter one. It will no doubt be a familiar passage to you. It is the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And uh, you remember that uh, Joshua was Moses' assistant and then became the leader of God's people as they entered the promised land. So let's read this together, Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years back, I met a man by the name of Bernie Drott. He and his son, Eric, uh, were from Vancouver, British Columbia, which of course is in Canada. And they were driving through Texas on a tour of the American South, Bernie, I would say, was probably in his mid-60s, and his son, Eric, maybe in his late 30s, early 40s, I don't know. But they happened through our town, Wichita Falls, and I had the privilege of a brief conversation with Bernie. It couldn't have lasted more than 15 minutes, maybe not even that long. 
But it was a memorable conversation. It's one I'll never forget. (laughs) And uh, it started with Bernie asking me a question. And he got right to it. He said, what is your plan for spiritual growth? And I knew right then that this was not going to be a casual conversation. There would be no small talk in those next few moments. And I must have paused a little too long. And he said, well, while you're thinking about it, do you mind if I share with you my plan for spiritual growth? I said, not at all. He told me how he and his wife, and and by the way, Bernie is not an ordained minister. I don't even know if he's an elder in his church. But he and his wife have a group of young adults gather at their home every Saturday evening, and they feed them dinner, and then they have a Bible study together, and they listen to them as they talk about the things that are on their minds and hearts, their fears, their hopes, uh, their deadlines, whatever it is that concerns them. And then, of course, they pray together. And, you know, as I I listen to that, I thought, well, that's not very unlike a number of Bible study groups that I'm aware of or a small group experience. But there was something that Bernie brought to it that was a little bit different because then he went on to say, I mentor each of these young men and women and I seek to impress upon them the importance of a plan for growth. And while he was talking, the wheels began to turn in my own mind, and I thought, you know, it's true. We are not going to grow in grace by accident. We're not going to suddenly fall into, or maybe the better way to put it would be rise up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ without some way of Uh, you know, preparing for that. Bernie said that the first part of his plan was to abide in the Word. And those were, that was his way of putting it, and you'll notice that that's the title of my sermon today, Abiding in the Word. And it's really something more than just reading your Bible, although you can't abide in the Word without reading it. And I'll just say this, we all ought to have a reading plan. We all ought to be reading daily in the Scriptures, and even if it's just a paragraph or two. And if you're looking for a plan, you can go online, you can ask your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or probably just about anybody that has one, and there are dozens of them available. But we all ought to be reading the Scripture. But, but really, that's not enough. We all ought to be studying the Bible, part of a group perhaps, maybe a Sunday school class or a a small group, and digging into the Scriptures and seeing what it says and what it means and and what it means for us, how, how, how to apply it. But there's more to it than that. Abiding in the Word is saturating ourselves in it so that it begins to give shape to the way we think. Not just the content of our thoughts, but the process we go through as as we think about our lives. It ought to seep down into into us at the cellular level. It ought to become part of our DNA. That's what uh, God is telling Joshua here in chapter 1. He says, this book of the law, that is the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
What's God talking about here? He's talking about total immersion in the Bible. I know this is a Presbyterian church, so forgive me for using that term, total immersion, but, but it, it's, it's what we need to do with the Bible. We need to get into it. We need to splash around in it. Um, we need to, to let it be the filter through which every thought passes. It's essential. The Word of God is essential for Christian growth. And so we, we need to abide in God's Word. We need to read it up, soak it up, <laughs> and live it out. And uh, you might ask, well, is it really that important? Is it really essential? Well, the book of Joshua says it is, and it gives us three reasons. Right here in this chapter that we just read, it, it tells us that the Word of God gives us purpose for living, it gives us assurance for living, and it gives us direction for living. We ought to abide in the Word of God, first of all, because it gives us purpose for living. And and the reason that is important is because it's so easy to lose our sense of purpose. And why is that? Well, it's because some things change, don't they? I was listening to the radio not long ago, and I heard an ad, and it had the old um, slogan, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. You've heard that. We all have. But then the announcer went on to say, there's one more thing you can be certain about, and that is change. And it's true, isn't it? Things do change. That was certainly the case for Joshua and the people of ancient Israel. You recall that God's people were unjustly enslaved in Egypt, and the Lord called Moses to deliver them from their bondage and to lead them through the wilderness right up to the threshold of the promised land. Only you will recall that it was not Moses who led them into the land. He died before they could make their entrance. And that's what God says to Joshua here. Look at verses 1 and 2, if you will. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. That means that things had changed. Now the responsibility of leading God's people was in the hands of Joshua. In fact, the Lord said to Joshua, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Some things change. I heard someone say one time, all change brings grief, and and I believe it does. And, And because it does, sometimes change brings fear. Do you notice as we read this passage how repeatedly God says to Moses things like, do not be frightened, be courageous and strong hearted, don't be afraid, because sometimes we are. We are afraid. And and the more radical the change, the more likely it is that we will be frightened. But look, while some things do change, some things never change. 
And one of the things that never changes is God's purpose for your life. What was God's purpose for Joshua and those people of old? Well, it was to give them the land that he had promised to them, wasn't it? And whatever else changed, that was not going to change. Look at what God tells Joshua in verse 3. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. You see, it would be just as God had promised. And what does that mean for you? (laughs) Well, it means the same thing for you. Everything that God has promised you, his purpose for you, will be fulfilled. It will come to pass. He will deliver on his promises. So we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. No matter what else changes, that will not change. God will use all the changes of your life to bring about his purposes in you, through you, and for you. You may not understand at the time exactly how that can be, but I assure you that it is so. One of my favorite, what shall I call it, I guess passages out of the literature of the Christian tradition, aside from the Bible, is the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. It was uh, composed in Germany in the 16th century. And of course, it's a question and answer format for teaching the faith. And the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And listen to the answer. The answer is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. He protects me so well. Listen to this part. He protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything, underscore that word, everything, must fit his purpose for my salvation. God's purpose in your life will not be thwarted. It'll seem like it at times. It'll seem like life is bigger than you can handle. The changes are are too dramatic. The, The future is too unknown. But God will use all of it, including the changes, including the unwelcome ones, to fulfill his intentions in your life. And how would you know that? Well, because of what you read in Scripture. You would never be persuaded of that without abiding in God's Word. Because if you're not looking at your life through the lens of Scripture, if you're not abiding in God's Word, when things do change, and when they change for what seems the worse, if you're not abiding in Scripture, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be frightened. You're going to be at a loss. 
You're going to be confused. But if you're abiding in the word of God, if, if the patterns of your thinking have been shaped by scripture, you're going to be confident that God has not abandoned you, that he's still working in your life, and that whatever else changes in your life, the one thing that will not change is his plan for you. You can be confident of that. And that brings us to the second reason for abiding in the word of God. Not only does the word of God give purpose for living, it also gives assurance for living. And assurance translates into confidence, doesn't it? Confidence before others and confidence before God. Look, if you will, at the first part of verse 5. The Lord says to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That means no one will be able to stand against you. There will always be plenty of opposition to God's agenda. And if you are seeking with all of your heart to pursue God's purpose for your life, there will be some people who don't like that. And they may not even like you. And in some instances, they may even stand against you and try to dissuade you or discourage you or derail you. It's then that you will be assured by what God promised you in his word. No one will be able to stand against you. Now, that doesn't mean that you will win every argument. It doesn't mean that you will always prevail. You won't. Joshua and the people of ancient Israel didn't. And if you look at all the faithful people in the pages of Scripture, they didn't always win. It sometimes looked like they were, uh, that they lost. It doesn't mean that, but what it does mean is that God will always accomplish in you and through you exactly what his plans are for you. And he will even use your defeats. (laughs) He will even use your defeats to bring about his ends. And you know that how? You know it because of what God says in the last part of verse 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. And he reiterates that in the latter part of verse 9 where he says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In other words, you are assured of confidence not only before others, but also before God. And what difference does that make when your faith is challenged at at work or at school or maybe even at home or when you're out with your friends? What difference does it make to be assured that God is with you? If you're abiding in his word, then you have the confidence that he is with you and for you and you are never alone. If you're not abiding in his word, if you haven't let scripture shape the way you think about your life and the world around you, You will feel like you're alone, and you'll panic, and you'll be in distress. I I urge you, set it as part of your own plan for growth and grace to saturate yourself with Scripture, to, 
to train your mind to think along the patterns of God's word. Because one of the things that scripture teaches us is that we're never alone. God is always with us. We can be assured of that. And when you're assured, you have a, you have a mind that is at peace, a heart that is secure, and a sense that you're a part of something much bigger than you that will not fail. And that brings us to the the third reason that we ought to abide in God's Word. We've seen that God's Word gives us purpose for living. We've seen that it gives us assurance for living. And now third, we see that it gives us direction for living. When we look at Scripture for direction, we learn two things. The first thing we learn is that the Word of God must have first place in our actions. And the second thing we learn is that the Word of God must have first place in our thoughts. Look again at verse 7. The Lord says to Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The key word there is do. What's God saying? He's saying that the scriptures must have first place in our actions. We must behave according to the word of God. And we must believe according to the word of God. So in verse 8, God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Put another way, the Word of God must have first place in our thoughts. We must meditate on Scripture. Read it? Yes. Read it every day. Study it? Yes. But go beyond that. Meditate on it. And of course, that raises the question, what is meditation? Well, all it is is thinking. Thinking with the Bible and thinking through the Bible. Don't confuse it with Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, if I understand it correctly, is all about emptying the mind. But biblical meditation is about filling the mind, filling the mind with God's truth. So that, as I said before, we begin to think along the same patterns that the scriptures do. Our minds filled with God's words, we will have the direction we need for living. Well, Bernie Drott, that man I met for just a few moments, maybe doesn't realize what an impact he had on me because I realized uh, myself that if we're not growing, we might look at the fact that we don't have a plan because if we have a plan for growth, we know where we're going. And every good plan for growth and grace begins with abiding in the Word of God. Why? Well, what have we said? It gives us purpose for living, it gives us assurance for living, and it gives us direction for living. Reading the Bible, studying it, those are necessary things. But we must go farther. We must abide in God's Word. 
Will you pray with me? Blessed Lord, you've caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may, in such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ.